Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. We've been making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And tonight we're going to cover chapter 4. And, uh, you know, the Word of God, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is good. Uh, You can learn from it. It can be applied to any of our lives. And tonight's sermon is something that we can all learn from and we can all gain understanding from. But in this chapter, in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul really focuses in on those that are in ministry and those that have taken, taken a leadership position in that which is spiritual. And I often use the term spiritual leader when I'm talking about training people for the ministry. I, I like the term because not everybody who's a pastor you don't have to be a pastor necessarily to be a spiritual leader. For example, the Apostle Paul was not a pastor. He was an apostle. He's an evangelist. Uh, but yet he was a leader spiritually to these people. And even in our church, you know, we have men here that are on staff, and they might be uh, spiritual leaders and not necessarily pastors. But I want to give you uh, seven, eight thoughts uh, from this passage in regards to uh, spiritual leadership and those who desire to be spiritual leaders. So I want to say this. This sermon is applicable and can be helpful to each and every one of, uh, of us, but especially for those of you that have a desire to go into the ministry. If you're a man here and you say, you know, I desire to go in the ministry, I, I feel that God may use me one day as a pastor, you need to be, pay, uh, pay close attention. And in fact, I'd encourage you to write down some things as we go through this passage. And if you are a wife here, uh, tonight of one of those men. And, and, you know, ministry is not something that happens to the men only. Their wives are just as much as part of that ministry as the man is, which is why God gives uh, qualifications for the wife in order to, to be able to go into the ministry. So I, wanna, I want you to write a few statements down. I'd like you to write down some things. If, if you don't have a baby on your lap or something like that, take some notes. On the back of your course of the week, there's some places for you to write down some notes. Here's point number one tonight. I'd like you to write this down. The first thing we see in this chapter is the role of a spiritual leader. The role of a spiritual leader. Notice verse 1 there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, let a man so account of us. Now he's talking about him and the rest of the apostles and those that are in leadership position there in, in the churches that are being dealt with. He says, let a man so account of us. Notice what he says. He says, as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. When the Apostle Paul begins to talk about spiritual leadership, he begins with the idea of the role of the spiritual leader. And you know, even for those of you that are not going to go in ministry, this is something good for you to learn. What exactly is the role that the spiritual leadership in your life should be having? What is the role that the pastor should be playing or those that are uh, put in positions of authority in your life as far as the church and things like that are concerned. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says there's two roles, there's two positions. And obviously we can find other scriptures and get into more things, but he says it comes down to this. They are to be ministers and they are to be stewards. They are to be ministers and they are to be stewards. And here's what you need to understand. The spiritual leaders or spiritual leaders are ministers. Now you say, well, what does that mean to be a minister? Go to the book of Matthew. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 4. That's obviously our text for tonight. But go to Matthew chapter number 20 and look at verse number 20. Let's allow the Bible to define itself. You know, uh, it it doesn't really happen a lot in Baptist churches, but in in some Christian circles or maybe back in, in an older time, a pastor used to be referred to as a minister. 
You say, why, why were they called that? Well, it's a, it's a biblical term there. He says, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ. Now, what does it mean to be a minister? You're there in, in Matthew chapter 20. Look down at verse number 20. Now, when you get to Matthew 20, do me a favor. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, a bulletin, because we're going to leave Matthew and we're going to come back to it several times during the service. So I want you to be able to get to it quickly. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Notice what the Bible says. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. Now, who is the mother of Zebedee's children? This is the mother of James and John. Remember, James and John are the sons of Zebedee. It says, the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him, desiring a certain thing of Christ. And he, Jesus, said unto her, the mother of Zebedee's children, he said, what wilt thou? And she saith unto him, notice what she desires, notice her request. She says, and the Bible says, uh, and she saith unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Now she's asking for position and prominence for her sons. And just for sake of time, we're not going to go through uh, a couple of those verses there. He explains how that's not for him to give. Look, look down at verse number 24. I want you to notice the reaction of, of the rest of the disciples. Because, you know, here comes, imagine, you got 12 guys, right? They're all in, 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 uh, in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ spiritual leadership class, right? And then two of them, their mom shows up and says, can you promote my two sons? You know, forget these 10 guys. Just make sure my two sons are the main one. So in verse 24, it says, and when the 10 heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus uses this opportunity to teach a lesson. Notice what he says in verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, you know that the princes, now what, the, the word prince is simply someone who's in authority. He says, you know that the princes of the Gentiles, notice, exercise dominion over them. Dominion is to take control. He says the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion or control over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. Verse 26, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, notice what he says, let him be your minister. You say, well, what does it mean to be a minister? Well, look at verse 27. The Bible defines it for us. And whosoever will be chief among you, notice what he says, let him be your servant. So you say, well, I'd like to be in ministry. And sometimes you talk to guys and they, they say, I'd like to be in ministry. And what they really mean is they want to be on the platform. What they really mean is they want to be on the documentary. What they really mean is they want to preach the sermon. What they really mean is they want to be on YouTube. What they really mean, but see, Jesus said, when you're in ministry, he says, when you're a minister, he said, what you are is a servant. Verse 27, and whosoever will be chief among you, whosoever will be in charge among you, whosoever will be, you know, the highest among you, he says, let him be your servant, even as a son of man. Now notice, even as a son of man, he says, even, he's talking about himself, he says, even as a son of man, came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So when it comes to spiritual leadership, they are to be ministers. They are to be servants. Keep your place there in Matthew. I know you got your place in 1 Corinthians 4. Keep your place in Matthew. We're coming right back to it. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, if you start at the end of the Bible and you head back, you're going to have the book of Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John, 2nd, and 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Now, 
Keep your place in First Peter also, because we're going to leave it. We're going to come back to it. I know you got ten fingers, so figure it out. All right, you got Matthew twenty, First Peter five, and First Corinthians four. We're going to come back to Matthew. We're going to come back to First Peter. We're going to be in First Corinthians four. First Peter five. Look at verse one. First Peter chapter five and verse one. Notice what he says. He says the elders. Now, what's an elder? That's again another title of spiritual leadership, a pastor. He says the elders which are among you, I exhort. Who am also an elder. So here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder. And he says, I'm going to exhort the other elders and the other pastors. He says, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partake of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. He's telling them, this is what you should be doing as a pastor. Feed the flock of, among, uh, uh, of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy looker, but for uh, of a ready mind. Notice verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So I want you to notice, he says, look, your job as a pastor, your job as a spiritual leader is not to be a lord. You say, a lord over what? A lord over God's heritage. Talking about God's people. Look, the position of a spiritual leader is not that you go out and build some big church and build some great crowd so that you can have people there that are going to serve you and that are going to give you things, and that are going to do things for you, and they're going to buy you a Bentley, and they're going to make sure you're in a mansion, and they're going to make sure you're, you're, you've, you've got a, a, you know, a $1,000 suit, and they're going to make sure you've got a Rolex watch. He says that's not what a pastor or a spiritual leader is supposed to do. He's not supposed to be a lord over God's heritage. He's not supposed to exercise dominion over the people. He says he's supposed to be a minister, a servant, someone who's there to say, I'm here to serve you. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. There is a such thing, and I don't have time to develop this. You're just going to have to study this out on your own. There is a such thing as servant leadership. So it's not that, oh, you're, you work for me, pastor, right? You're going to come take care of everything I need. No, it means that you lead, but you lead in such a way where it's, you're not leading like a communist dictator to see what you can get, but you lead in such a way to serve others, to help others, to help others along the way. And sometimes as a leader, you even have to correct things. And we're going to see that in this passage. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So what does it mean to be a spiritual leader? Well, number one, it means you are a minister which is defined as a servant. You are a servant leader. You are, your job and your position is not there to further your career or your name or your, uh, 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 you know, your reputation, but you are there to serve and help others. But there's another description. Look at verse 1 again. He says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ. And then he says this, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this because... On, on the first Sunday of January, I'm actually going to begin a series on the subject of the stewardship of life. Because the Bible calls pastors stewards, but it's not the only ones that are called stewards. Everyone in the Bible, every saved believer is called a steward. And usually when you bring up the word stewardship, people think you're talking about money. But stewardship is when we manage. It's a manager. It's someone who manages the resources of another. 
In the Bible, you would find often that there would be a steward. In the parables, you'll find oftentimes stewards who would have a lord over them. The steward would be the servant of the Lord, but the steward would manage the affairs of the Lord. And they would have to give an account for the resources that they were managing. It wasn't their resources. It was the resources of the Lord. A perfect example of a steward in the Bible would be Joseph. Remember Joseph? He was the servant of Pharaoh. He was accountable to Pharaoh. All the riches that he managed were not his own riches. They were the riches of Pharaoh. But he was a steward of the house. The Bible says that the ministers, that the spiritual leadership, are not just servants, but they're also stewards. They're not just ministers, but they're also managers. You say managers for what? Well, go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Notice what he said. If you kept your place there, 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 2. You say, well, Pastor Menes, you just said that you're supposed to be a servant. So does that mean you're just supposed to do everything we need you to do, and we can call you at any time, and any, you know, anything, you work for us, you're our employee? No, no, no. I, I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. For, but, but I want you to understand, 1 Peter 5, 2, notice what he says. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Now, we already talked about the fact that you're a minister, you're a servant, but here's where leadership comes in. He says, taking the oversight thereof. So notice, he says you're a servant, but that doesn't take away from your leadership. It's just your leadership is supposed to be uh, that you're leading in such a way where you are helping those that are following you. And then he says you're leading in such a way where you are managing the resources that God has given you. He says taking oversight thereof, not by constraint. That's the lording over God's heritage. That's the exercising dominion. He says, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples of the flock. Notice verse 4, and when the chief shepherd shall appear. Do you see that? What's a shepherd? It's just another word for a pastor. See, there's a chief, there's a, there's a chief shepherd. We are the under-shepherds. You say, are you the pastor? I'm the under-pastor. I'm the under-shepherd, but there's a shepherd above me. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. See, my job as a pastor is to lead in such a way that I'm serving others, and it's to manage or steward the resources. I'm not the main pastor. There's a chief pastor over me. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says, obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. See, if you want to go in ministry, you want to be a spiritual leader, you need to understand that ministry is not about you. It's not about your fame and your name and your reputation and what you can get out of it. It is about leading in such a way where you serve others and leading in such a way where you manage the resources of your Lord, of your chief shepherd. Say, why, why, do, you, why do you, you know, do all, why, why do you guys do all these soul winning marathons? You're having this mega soul winning marathon. You're having a marathon in every state in the union and, and some states having multiple. Why, you know, why is our church running a marathon on March 31st in Sacramento and we're at the same time running a marathon in Reno, Nevada and at the same time running a marathon in Boise, Idaho and at the same time running a marathon in Portland, Oregon and at the same time running a marathon in Seattle, Washington? You say, why is our church doing that why spend the time why spend the money why spend the energy here's why because god has made us a steward we are to manage his resources for his glory we are to take 
what God has given us and try to do the best so that he will receive the glory so that his will will be done. See, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about doing the best for him. We are stewards for the Lord. But I want you to notice what, we stu- what, what we're stewarding. Go, go back to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You can lose your place there in 1 Peter 5. What are we stewarding? Notice what he says. 1 Corinthians 4, 1. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards, notice what he says, of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. You say, well, what is that? Well, if you remember the context that we've been talking about in this book as we've been studying it, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 7, notice what he says, but we speak, 1 Corinthians 2, 7, but we speak the wisdom of God, notice, in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. What's the context? It's talking about the Word of God. You say, why is it a hidden mystery? Because remember, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. You say, so what is it exactly that you're managing? Maybe we're managing everything that has to do with ministry and with the resource of God, but specifically we are to manage the truth of God's Word. See, I'm going to be held accountable for what I did with God's Word. You say, why do you preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter? Why is it that your goal is that before you die, you preach through every verse of every chapter of the Bible? Here's why. Because I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. Because it's my job to make sure that I'm giving you the truth. That I'm giving, and that's why, by the way, when you come here, if it was about me, if it was about my success, if it was about my reputation, if it was about my wealth and my comfort, I wouldn't preach half the things that are in the Bible. Because people get mad, and people leave, and they get upset. If it was just about, you know, making money and being famous, every sermon would just be a a feel-good sermon. Every sermon would be a motivational speech. It'd be Joel Osteen up here. We'd have a a rock band if I wanted to get a crowd. But see, I realize that I'm accountable to God for how I steward the mysteries of God, the truth of God, the preaching. That's why Paul said, you know, that he preached the whole counsel of God. Why? Because it is our job to steward the resources God has given us and primarily the resource of uh, the Word of God. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We saw, number one, the role of the spiritual leader. But I'd like you to notice, second, there's also the requirement of the spiritual leader. There's not only the role of the spiritual leader. What's the role of the spiritual leader? He is to be a minister or a servant, and he is to be a steward or a manager. That's what he's supposed to do. And, and you know, that, that should be the way that you judge, you know, whether a spiritual leader is doing a good job. Because sometimes a lot of people put a lot of things into the job of a pastor. You know, they think that a pastor and a pastor's wife is supposed to be everybody's best friend. You know, supposed to just be all these things that the Bible never talks about. And look, we try to be people's friends, and we try to be friendly. We try to spend time with people. But if you're judging, people will judge us. Well, you know, it's been like a year since you had us over for dinner at your house, Pastor Man. Well, where in the Bible does it say I'm supposed to have everybody over to my house for dinner? You know, no, look, we try to do that. We try, look, given to hospitality, I get that. We try to have people over. We try to fellowship. We try. But look, when God says, what is it that a spiritual leader is supposed to be doing? Here's what he's doing. He's a servant. And he's stewarding the, word of the, the truth of God. So if you're getting fed the word of God and it's helping you and we're serving you in the sense that we're helping you draw close to God, then we're doing what God has called us to do. And everything else we're going to try to do and everything else we're going to try to uh, do as, as well as we can. But you know what? We're just people. You know, pastors don't have any more time in the day than you do. 
And pastor's wives don't have any more time in the day than, than you do. So we see, number one there, the role of a spiritual leader. But we also see a requirement for spiritual leadership. What is that? Look at verse 2. Notice what he says. Moreover, it is required, because he just got done, you know, saying, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then in verse 2 he says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So notice there's a requirement. For stewardship, what's the requirement? Is that he's found faithful. And I want you to notice, it says that he's found faithful. It doesn't say that he's made faithful. See, people get this idea. They think, oh, well, I would be faithful if I got a position. No, no, you get the position when you are faithful. You don't, you know, get the position in the hopes that you'll be faithful. He says it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Go back to, uh, uh, well, go to Luke chapter number 16. If you get your place there in Matthew, keep your place there in Matthew, but go to Luke. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 16. Look at verse number 10, Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. And this is where most people fail when it comes to leadership, is that they look at small leadership opportunities and they say, oh, that's not very important. That's not very glamorous. I'm not going to worry about that. You know, I'm, I'm going to wait till I get something big. I'm going to wait till I get something, you know, till I get something great. But here's the thing. God is looking to see how you do with the little opportunities. Amen. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. The Bible says this. He that is faithful in that which is least. Notice what he says. Is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man, who shall give you that which is your own? See, listen to me, guys. You, you can't sit there and write a 10-minute sermon for men's preaching night. But then you, why would God give you the opportunity to preach the full-length sermon three times a week to people that need to be fed the Word of God. Do you understand what I just said? You know, guys get this idea like, oh, man, you know, can't wait till pastor lets me preach on Sunday night, but yet you never preach at men's preaching night. You know, I will never allow someone to preach for me that doesn't preach at men's preaching nights. You say, why? Because if I can't trust you with the 10-minute sermon, why would I trust you with the 45-minute sermon? I mean, that's what Jesus said. And people look at me, or, you know, you'll, you'll, you can go on our YouTube page. You know, I was just looking at our YouTube page, and the, the psychopath reprobate sermon that I preached had like 5,400 views. I was looking at some other sermons that we could potentially make into documentaries. You know, there's a sermon I preached on, on the, the Bible, the, 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 uh, the occult in light of the Bible. It's got like 6,000 views or whatever. And some of you guys are like, oh, I can't wait till I get some, you know, sermons that have thousands and thousands of views. And, you know, praise the Lord for anything, any exposure, any truth that's being getting out there. But, you know, long before we had the thousands of views and we had the documentaries, you know that there was Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights where I was just getting up and faithfully preaching to eight people. And I was spending hours studying the Bible, reading the Bible while working a full-time job, writing sermons, taking it seriously. See, God blesses with that when, when he sees you taking seriously that which is the least. He says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also. And by the way, if you're not faithful in the least, giving you more is not going to make you faithful. He says, you have to be found faithful. 
You have to be found trustworthy. You have to be found as someone. And notice what he says there in verse 12. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's. Because people get to the idea. They say, well, this isn't my ministry. This is Pastor Jimenez's ministry. One day when it's my ministry, then I'll. No, no. If you're not faithful in that which is another man's. If you can't do a good job when you're working. You know, one day when I have my own business. But you're not a good employee when it's not your own business. You're not going to be a good boss when it's your business. I mean, that's what the Bible is saying. He said, if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? See, there is a requirement. There is a requirement for spiritual leadership. Guys training for the ministry should take the work of the ministry of another man. You know, you should take this ministry seriously so that God will one day bless your ministry. And by the way, let me say this. You will reap in your ministry what you sow in this ministry. That's why I told you, know, doesn't the Bible say, be not deceived, God is not mocked? For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's why it always blows my mind when the guys and the gals, and again, I'm, not, I'm preaching this because this is the context, but when the people who want to go in ministry, the guys that are getting trained for the ministry, when they're the ones that give me the most problems, it always blows my mind because I think to myself, one day you're going to be a pastor. Don't you think, don't you think you're going to reap what you're sowing? You know, ladies, you, you ladies that are, your husband wants to be a pastor, you're going to be a pastor's wife. When you sit there and complain and badmouth your pastor's wife, well, she didn't do this and she didn't do that and she didn't show up to this. Tell me the Bible where it says we're supposed to do all that, number one. You know, we got five kids, you know, we've got 150 people we gotta, we're praying for and helping and dealing with. On a way, you know, and you sit there and you say, well, you know, she's not a very good pastor. Just realize one day someone's going to judge you by that standard. So you might want to just, you know, if it were me, or I should say when it was me, when my wife and I were training for the ministry at Fellowship Baptist Church, you know what I decided to be? I decided I wanted to be the best, you know, church member in that church. We made that our goal. You say, why? Because I knew that one day I was going to be a pastor, and I just wanted to have some great church members. And, you know, our pastor, who's not in the ministry anymore, but at the time, he came to this church when we started it, and I never asked him, to, I never told him, but he said, I, you know, he said to our little church at the time, he said, you know, Roger and Joanne were the best church members we ever had. I remember when he said that, I was so happy because I was like, man, I was trying to be like the best church member we ever had, you know? But you guys need to realize that you're going to reap what you sow, you know? And, you know, and this idea, you know, sometimes, let me give you an example. Sometimes in ministry, we have people here, right? We have problems, and we're going to see that in this chapter here. We have problems with people where they, they give us all sorts of issues. They turn on us. They badmouth us. They try to ruin our church or ruin our ministry, try to ruin our name, lie about us, and eventually they get kicked out, or I run them out, or they just leave, or whatever it might be. You know, and then, and then you got church people who call me their pastor, who call my wife their pastor's wife, and they'll just maintain friendships with those people. They'll go over to their house. They'll have them over. They'll act like nothing happened. And you, if you ask them about it, they'll say, like, oh, we're just trying to stay neutral. You know what? One day you're going to pastor a church, and someone's going to hurt you, and someone's going to hurt your wife, and someone's going to hurt your children, and they're going to attack you, and you're going to wish your church people backed you up, and your church people didn't just act like nothing happened, and someone's going to be a disloyal church member to you because you're reaping that here. I mean, that's just how it goes. So, you know, just for you that want to be a spiritual leader, realize you reap what you sow. So we have the role of a spiritual leader, and we have the requirement of a spiritual leader. He's to be found 
faithful. Number three, we have the regard of a spiritual leader. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. You have the regard of a spiritual leader. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the regard of a spiritual leader is what the spiritual leader regards, what he thinks about, or what he considers. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. Notice what he says. But with me, he says, but with me, this is Paul speaking. He says, with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of a man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. See, a spiritual leader, there's a couple of things a spiritual leader cannot do. One is this, the spiritual leader cannot care if others regard them highly. The spiritual leader cannot care if others regard him highly. Notice what he says, look at verse 3. He says, but with me, notice what Paul said. He's talking to the church at Corinth. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, you know, you know, aren't you afraid? People aren't going to like you. You say certain things. You teach. You know, you know, it's better for me to train you and just tell you the truth and tell you what you need to hear. You say, wait, but we're not going to like you and we're going to be upset with you. You know what? It's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Because as a spiritual leader, you cannot care if others regard you. And listen to me very carefully. If you want to be a pastor or you want to be a pastor's wife and you're overly concerned with what people think about you, don't go in ministry. I mean, it will destroy you. Because in ministry, people are constantly attacking you. They're constantly judging you. They're constantly telling you you're wrong or you're not doing it right or you're not doing it like my old pastor did it or you're not doing it like my old church did it or you're not doing it. Look, that's the way life goes. You can't make a movement in ministry. You can't make a decision in ministry without somebody not liking it. There's always somebody telling you how you could have done it better, how it could have been done better, you know, how it should have been done. Go to Matthew 22. If you kept your place there, Matthew 22. Notice what they said about the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 16. Matthew 22, 16, notice what it says. And they said unto him, their disciples, with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Right? That's the mysteries of God. He's, he's a steward of the mysteries of God. But notice what they said about him. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of man. And listen to me, as, as a spiritual leader, you cannot care. You cannot care what people think about you. You say, well, Pastor Mendes, do you care what people think about you? Go check out our Google reviews for Verity Baptist Church and tell me if I care what people think about me. You, you say, you know why? Because you're going to find about 10% of them are just five stars. This church is great. This is the greatest pastor ever. You don't hear preaching like this. And then 90% are going to be one star because that's the lowest rating you can give. And it's going to be like, this guy's uh, insane. This guy's crazy. This is a cult. I can't believe what they say. Look, if you're going to be a steward of the mysteries of God, you just have to not care what people think about you. But there's another thing you cannot do. Not only can you not care what people think about you, also, you cannot compare yourself to others. Notice what he says, 1 Corinthians 4.3. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, notice what he says, yea, I judge not mine own self. Now, look, what's he talking about? Because later in the same book, he's going to say, hey, judge yourself. When he's talking about taking the Lord's Supper, 
The idea is he's saying, I'm not judging myself. I'm not comparing myself and contrasting myself. Because remember, the context of chapter 4 is what he's been talking along in 1 Corinthians where he says that some people are saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. They're puffed up against each other. They're puffed up against one for another. And he's saying, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I can't minister. I can't live in ministry while caring what others think. And I can't live in ministry while constantly comparing myself to others. He says, I judge not mine own self. See, look, as a pastor, there's a big, big, big temptation to be, well, what's, that, what's the other guy doing? How many is the other guy running? How many salvation days? What was, their, what was their Wednesday night service like? You know what? You can't live your life like that. You have to live your life with the understanding that it's God who's going to judge me. That's what Paul says here in a minute. But he says, I judge not my, mine own self. Now, what do you do? What is it that a spiritual leader must do? Regard, as far as what he thinks about. He cannot sit there and care about what others think about him. And he cannot sit there and, uh, and, and compare himself. And compare himself to others. Look, and there's many times I preach sermons where I know it's not what people want to hear, and people are mean to me, or maybe they're not mean, they're just distant. They go out the other door, <laughs> you know. They're, or they're, you know, usually they're real happy with me. And, and, you, and you say, does, does that make you upset? Well, look, it hurts me as a person, but I have to tell myself, you know what, I can't care. It's my job to make sure that I preach the Word of God. And it's my job that I correct things that are not being done well. And here's what, with the Apostle Paul, we're going to see that here in a minute. But notice what a spiritual leader must do. Notice what he says in verse number five. I'm sorry, verse four. He says, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. Notice what he says, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. See, here's what I have to understand. It is God who's going to judge me. It is God who's going to judge this ministry. It's not how popular I was. It's not how liked I was. It's not, look, and, and he says, for I know nothing. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, we don't know how God will judge, but we know this, that God will judge. We don't know how God will judge, but here's what we do know. God will judge. And essentially, we were just talking about this, me and some of the guys, on Sunday night. Because we were talking about, like, I wonder how God is going to judge. You know, here's the thing. We don't know. He doesn't give us that, you know, algorithm. He doesn't give us that, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, formula as to how he's going to judge people. You know, because you can say, well, how, well how's, how's God going to judge someone who maybe served in church and did things to further the Great Commission as far as making sure that the church was ready, maybe cleaned, or maybe did repairs, or maybe, you know, did things in the church to make sure that people could come here and, and, and be discipled and hear the Word of God, which that's further in the Great Commission. How's God going to judge those people versus someone who maybe never did anything as far as service or serving, but they did a lot of soul winning? Or, or how's he going to judge the person that did soul winning and serving? Or how's he going to judge the pastor? You know, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, I, here's what I know. God is just. God is equal, however he decides to judge. Because remember, the very last chapter, the context we left off on was the judgment seat of Christ, right? Chapter 3. And that's why he's talking about these things. And he's saying, look, for I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Here, he says, here's what I know. I'm going to stand before God one day, and he will judge me. And it's not going to be about how big my church was or how popular I was or how famous or how much people liked it or how much people liked me. It's going to be, was my life pleasing to God? He says that we must realize that God's judgment is the only judgment that matters. But there's a second thing. Not only must we realize that it is God's judgment and only his judgment that matters, but we must also remember 
that God will not judge by sight because God knows the heart. Look at verse 5 again. And again, consider the context. The last chapter, he just got done going through the judgment seat of Christ, right? Look at verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. You know, some people say, oh, you're a failure. You failed. You know, well, here's the thing. Judge nothing before the time. You know, my, my, race, isn't, my, my race isn't done, right? Your race isn't done. He says, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring, notice, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. See, remember last week we talked about the judgment seat of Christ? It's a discerning judgment. The fire will discern the works of what sort they are. Why? Because he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Bible says this. It says, but the Lord said unto Samuel. Remember, Samuel was going to uh, uh, find the king to replace Saul. He says, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. I like that part. Because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. See, men are, men are impressed with how good-looking you are, how tall you are. Man, that guy walks in, and he just, you know, everyone just uh, is, uh, is attracted. He's, he, you know, everybody thinks like, wow, you know, there's a leader. But you know what? The Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And, you know, at the end of the day, he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. And I think that we're going to find that there's going to be a lot of big-shot preachers Big name preachers with full auditoriums and beautiful campuses. And people are going to think, oh, yeah, he's going to get all sorts of rewards. And he did so great. And God's going to say, no, you know what? I knew what was in your heart. And I knew that your motives were wrong. And I hope you enjoyed the Hawaii trips. And I hope you enjoyed the cruises. And I hope you enjoyed. And, you know, and he might look at some, some preacher somewhere in the middle of nowhere, pastoring 50 people but doing the best he can to, you know, reach his, his community with the gospel of Christ, and he's not watering down the word of God, and he's faithfully preaching the mysteries and stewarding the mysteries of God. And we'll say, well, I've never even heard of that guy. But God will say, I knew what was in his heart, and I knew what he was doing, and I knew why he was doing it. See, as a spiritual leader, listen to me, guys. You cannot be motivated by what people think, what people do. There's always going to be someone who's doing more, accomplishing more. You're always going, and, and he, you say, why is Paul teaching this? Because here's the worst part of it. People often try to make you live under the shadow of somebody else. And if you don't think that's true, join our movement. Because you know what I hear all the time? Well, Pastor Anderson. And you know what Pastor Romero hears? Well, Pastor Jimenez. And you know what Pastor Anderson hears? Well, those other guys. People are constantly trying to just put you, you know, at odds or compare you. Or com but you know what? Here's the thing. You can't live your life like that. You have to just do what God has called you to do and say, at the end of the day, God knoweth. And you know what? I pray that those guys get great rewards. I, I'm impressed with what they're doing. I pray that the Lord blesses them and increases their influence. But we need to do what God has called us to do in our place of service. We need to realize that it is God's judgment and only his judgment that matters. And we must remember that God will not judge by sight because God knows the heart. Number four, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Not only do we see the role of the spiritual leader, we see the requirements of the spiritual leader. We see the regard of the spiritual leader. Number four, we see the respect of the spiritual leader. 
the respect of the spiritual leader. There are two extremes when it comes to the amount of respect that a leader gets. I remember my pastor, before I went into ministry, he, he said this to me, and it was so true. Here's what he said. He said, people will love you as a pastor more and faster than you've really earned, and they will turn on you and badmouth you faster than you really deserve. And he says, that's just ministry. And I mean, I got, I got text messages from people telling me, you are the greatest pastor I've ever had. I've never learned the Bible so much. And those people are right now attacking me. You say, why? Because people will love you and respect you and admire you, you know, want to take pictures with you a lot faster than you've really earned in their lives. And then they will just turn on you and stab you in the back and, hey, a lot faster than you deserve. So just realize that. So what do you do? Well, you take the love, you know, with a grain of salt, and you take the hate with a grain of salt. You say, how do you do that? You live your life realizing this, that it is God who judges. And it is God who will judge at the end of the day. We see the respect. Here are the extremes. One extreme is that some people think too highly of their leaders. That's just the truth. I mean, sometimes you go to conferences, you go to places, people treat you like you're some rock star or something. You know, they're like, you know, they, they act like, oh, wow, this is so amazing. It's like, look, First Corinthians 4, look at verse 6. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. And again, you don't have to turn there, but if you remember in 1 Corinthians 3.21, he says, Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, uh, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. Here's what he's saying. You know, people get infatuated sometimes with leaders, and they, they go to this extreme where they think just too highly. And here's what he's saying. Look, you say, well, I love so-and-so's preaching. Praise the Lord. I love their preaching too. But you know what? We're all men. That's all we are is men. And one day we're going to let you down. And one day we're going to say something you don't like. And, you know, people are like, oh, we love, we love you, you know, sending us emails saying you're the greatest thing. And then I say something they don't like, and then they're just like, the guy's a heretic. You know, it's like, good night. You know, I mean, can you still send me the, the gift card, though, you know, like when you love me? You know, there should be a level of respect for the spiritual leaders that have invested in you. You don't have to go there. First Thessalonians 5.12, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. I was telling the guys, you know, I think God does this to kind of make sure that there's a balance in our lives. You know, I go to the prophecy conference and people are like, Pastor Jimenez, love your preaching. Can I take a picture? You know, whatever. And I'm like, man, praise the Lord. And then I come home and I've got some guy making a YouTube video, called, you know, mocking my height, right? And it's like, you say, why does God do that? I think he does that to keep you humble, you know, to balance you, to make sure, you know, you don't get puffed up. Remember, Paul talked about the thorn in his flesh, that he, that he would not think too highly of himself. Look at verse 15, 1 Corinthians 4, 15. There should be some respect, though, that is given. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 13, you don't you have to turn there, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. You should esteem your spiritual leadership very highly in love for their work's sake. Look, if your pastor's working and you say, well, isn't it a little self-serving? You're preaching by yourself. Okay, then don't think of me. Just the next guy, the, the next pastor of Verity Baptist Church. Or, or when you leave here mad and you go somewhere else or whatever. You know, if your pastor's working, then esteem him highly in love for his work's sake. 
And, you know, be careful about, you know, you, you ought to love the people that are investing in you. Notice what Paul says, verse 15. For though ye have ten, he says, for though ye have 10,000 instructors, you know what he's saying? I mean, there's no new thing under the sun. Here's what he's saying. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, he said, I know you've got 10,000 preachers you can listen to on YouTube. He's saying, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have been gotten you through the gospel. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I got you saved. I brought you into this thing. I taught you the word of God. And now you're sitting there saying, oh, Paul's nothing. Cephas was my favorite. You know, and let me say this to our church, but honestly, we don't have a problem with this at our church, but I, we do have people, by God's grace, the Lord has given us some influence to listen to people online. Let me say this to the people that are listening online. If you go to one of these other pastors' churches in our movement, don't sit there and tell them how great I am or somebody else is. Just love your pastor. Love the guy that's praying for you, because you know what? I'm not praying for you. I'm praying for these people. The people sitting in this auditorium, my wife and I have a list with your name on it, with your children's names on it, and by God's grace, we try to pray through it every week. But you know, I'm not praying for all the 5,000 subscribers on our YouTube page, but your pastor probably is. You know, so encourage your man of God. That's what Paul is saying. Paul, Paul, Paul is saying, you have 10,000 instructors in Christ. He said, I know Cephas is, is awesome. I know Paul is, is awesome. Yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach, you, teach everywhere in every Church, the idea is there should be a level of respect, but make sure you don't take it to an extreme where you're worshiping people. But the, the extreme is people, they start worshiping a guy, right? And it's usually the guy that they don't go. Because you go to the guy's church, and then you see all his faults, right? So it's usually the people that are watching online. The grass is always greener on the other side. People always run out like, oh, well, the church in Texas or the church in this, it's a lot better. And it's like, have you ever been there? Because I've been there. <laughs> you know, They've got the same problems we have here. You know, If you don't believe me, go join it. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, look at verse 6, look at the last part of verse 6. That no one of you be puffed up for one, and then he says this, against another. The, the extreme is to either think too highly or to think too poorly. And he says, you know, don't do that. He says, don't do this, I'm of Paul, and, and another, I'm of Apollos. He says, are you not carnal? He says, now this I say that every one of you say, I'm a Paul and I'm a Paulist and I'm a Cephas and I'm a Christ. He said, just don't, don't do that. Just respect the people that have invested in your life and love the people that have invested in your life. And if people are working in your life, love them and respect them and honor them. Because here's what it all is. It's all pride. Look at the last part of verse 6. One of you be puffed up for one against another. What is that? That's pride. Now, here's what Paul does in verse 7, and it's awesome. He does what I like to call some clarifying questions. Usually at the end of a sermon, if I do this, I try to do it at the end of a sermon, well, I'll ask some clarifying questions. Last week when I preached the sermon on uh, the judgment seat of Christ, I ended by asking a series of questions. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, can I write down those questions? There's something about questions that sometimes they clarify things for us. They kind of put things in the right uh, setting or the right context. And Paul just got done dealing with this pride issue in the church, this cliques issue, this I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas. And then he gives three clarifying questions 
to help with the issue of pride. Notice verse 7. He's, here's question number one. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Who maketh thee to differ from another? Then he asks this question. And what hast thou that thou dost not receive? He says, well, what makes you different than somebody else? What makes your guy different than somebody else? And then he says this. And what do you have that you didn't receive? Because look, any talent you have, any ability you have, anything you have, God gave that to you. So it's not you. It's not you that has it. It's that God gave. So he says, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? And then here's a question. Here, here, and then he says this. Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hadst not received it. And those are good clarifying questions for pride. And whether it's in ministry or in business, you I got a big business, I'm so wonderful. Well, what do you have that you didn't receive? Because it's God, God's the one that gives you the power to get wealth. God's the one that gives you your ability, your intelligence, your skills. So he says, who make it thee to differ from another? I like that clarifying question. What is thou that thou dost not receive? I mean, what do you have in your life that God didn't give to you? What talent, what skill? You're so tall. You're tall because God made you tall. <laughs> and if thou didst receive it, he answers the question, why dost thou glory? Why do you boast? Why do you brag? As if thou hadst not received it. Good clarifying questions for our pride. Look at verse 7. Who maketh the, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 8. We're going to come back to verse 8 in a second. He says, now ye are full, now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would that God... Ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. Let me give you point number five tonight. I got I to gotta hurry up because I'm running. I'm out of time. But let me give you this. I, I don't want to cut this into two sermons. Let me just run, run through these real quickly. We see number five, the reproach of the spiritual leader. Look, in ministry, you're going to become a reproach. If you want to be a pastor, you cannot. It goes back to the idea, you cannot care what people think about you. Notice verse 9. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as if it were, appoint, as if, as it were appointed to death. For we are, notice, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. You say, you want an illustration of that? June 2016, right? We are made a spectacle unto the world. Verse 10, we are fools. That's what people thought of me in this church. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Look at verse 13. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. And again, check our Google ratings. We are the filth of the world, and we are the offscoring of all things. Number six, I'd like you to notice, not only does he talk about the reproach of the spiritual leader, but he also talks about the riches of the spiritual leader. Notice what he says. I want you to get, get this. Look at verse eight. He says, now ye are full. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings. Notice what he says, without us. He says, we're not full. We're not rich. He's talking about the spiritual leaders. He says, we haven't reigned as kings. And I would to God, he did reign, that we also might reign with you. Now notice, he's not having a bad attitude. He says, I would to God, he did reign. Look at verse 11. Even unto this present hour. Notice what he says. You guys that want to be pastors, make sure you pay attention to this. He says, 
we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. You say, what are the riches of the spiritual leader? There are none. Notice verse 12. And labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. But, but you, you say, well, what, what's Paul doing here? Is he trying to make these people feel bad? No, look at verse 14. I write not these things to your shame, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Here's what he's saying. I want you to understand this. He's saying, look, and, and this is what I'm saying to you. And I'm not saying this for your shame. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm talking to the guys that want to be pastors and to the ladies that are married to those guys that want to be in ministry. You want to be in ministry? You need to understand that we are not blessed with the world's riches. And if you need a certain level of comfort, if you have to live in a certain house, in a certain neighborhood, with a certain vehicle, don't go in ministry. Because you know what Paul said? Paul said, ye are full, ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings, but he says, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And he's not complaining. He says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I want you. And here's what you need to understand. If you go in ministry, if you become a pastor, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pastor people. There's going to be people that come to your church that hear you preach three times a week, that call you pastor, that call your wife their pastor's wife, and they're going to have much nicer houses than you have and drive much nicer vehicles than you drive and have much nicer clothes than you have. And I'm not saying that to your shame. Praise the Lord for it. I pray for people in our church that God would bless them, that God would uh, give them, you know, raises, and that he'd bless their businesses, and that he'd uh, bless their, 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 their jobs, and that he'd promote them. Like, praise the Lord for it. But just realize, as a spiritual leader, that's not what our lives is about. And there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, go, go to Luke chapter 8. I just want to make sure I make this clear. I'm not saying, I don't say that to your shame, but I'm telling you in ministry, you know, I remember <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was writing this. We had a, a certain couple come to our house. We're given to hospitality. We had them over for dinner one night. This family doesn't come to our church anymore, okay? But um, they came to our house, and I remember, my wife and I remember this very clearly. Because the husband and wife walk in. The husband has his hands in his pocket. They walk into our house, and this is what they do. They just go. And they look. And the wife's like, looking on our house and they look for like a minute and then this is what the guy said he said i've never been in a pastor's house and you say well what do you, what do you think he was thinking well when i went to his house i realized what he was thinking <laughs> here's what i'm telling you in ministry you're you're not you're not the church people are going to be rich and reigning as kings and be full and be doing great without us you understand that while we hunger and we thirst and we're naked. And I'm not complaining to you. I'm like, Paul, I'm not telling you, you know, I write these things. I'm just telling you, it, the, the church takes good care of us and they, they, they provide for us and they take care. But we're never going to be like normal people. Because look, if I went and I started a business and I put as many hours in that business as I put into this church, I would be living in a much nicer neighborhood, driving a much nicer vehicle. It's just the truth. I work, I work last night till like 10 p.m. You know the difference between me working till 10 p.m. and you working till 10 p.m.? Brother Oliver worked last night till like 11 p.m. You know the difference between him working till 11 p.m. and you working till 11 p.m.? We don't get overtime. We don't make more money because we got more business. We just do it for God. We get paid because 
we get taken care of. And Brother Stucky puts in many hours and does many things. And, when I'm, and again, I'm not saying that's your shame. Paul says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I'm talking to those of you that want to go in ministry. I'm just warning you. I'm warning you. If you have to live in a certain neighborhood, if you have to drive a certain vehicle, if you only wear a certain name brand, don't go in ministry. Don't do it. That's not our lives. That's not how we live. Luke chapter 8, are you there? Look at verse 3. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, there's a steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him, that's Jesus, look, of their substance. See, there was people in the ministry of Christ that had substance. Praise the Lord for it. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with people going out and working. There are some of you, you run businesses, you work hard, you work all week long, you're faithful to church on Sunday, you're faithful to church on Wednesday, you're faithful to church on Sunday night, you go soul winning. I'm not saying any of this to make you feel bad. Praise the Lord. Because even in the ministry of Christ, there was people who ministered to him out of their substance. But you know what? When they went home to nice houses, you know what Jesus said? The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. And the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. I'm just, and, and look, we don't have that bad. In America, we don't have that bad. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell those of you that want to go in spiritual in, in ministry, for, forget, forget about vacations. Forget about days. I can't tell you the last time I took a day off. And again, I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad. I'm just trying to make sure that those of you that want to do this understand it's more than being the guest speaker at a prophecy conference. It's more than being on after the tribulation. There's more than just the preaching and the ministry. There's things that go into this. And if you need a certain level of comfort, don't do it. Number seven, verse 12. Let me just finish this. Not only do we see the reproach of the spiritual leader and the riches of the spiritual leader, number seven, we see the right attitude of a spiritual leader. Look at verse 12. And labor working with our hands. Notice what he says. Notice what he says. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defrauded, we entreat. You know, as a spiritual leader, you're going to have to keep a good attitude. People are going to, people are going to judge you, and you're going to sit there and think, that's not fair. Sometimes people look at my kids, and they do something bad. They're like, oh, the pastor's kids are. And I'm like, man, I've seen your kids do a lot worse than that. You say, well, what do you do? Smile. Thanks for letting me know. I'll make sure the kids don't do that again. Say, why? Because I'm the pastor. So sometimes you suffer, sometimes you're reviled, and you bless. And people don't judge you. People don't judge you by the same standard. I remember, I'm telling a lot of stories tonight, I'm sorry, but let me, let me tell you this. I remember a guy who got mad at us. This is back when I used to run, Brother Stucky does it now, the pickups for the van, but back when I used to run the pickups for the van, the guy, we called him on Saturday night, he said he was coming to church, I told Brother Ron, no, I'm sorry, I didn't tell Brother Ron that the guy was coming. So, he got ready for church that day, and nobody came by. And, I mean, he got mad. He got so mad. He wrote me a text. He tore me up one side, down the other. This is the worst thing. You are so rude. I'm never coming back. You know what the interesting, though, about this guy was? There was several times. There was several times, and Brother Ron can attest to this, that we called him and said, hey, you coming to church tomorrow? He said, yes. We went there. We got out. We knocked on the door. He answered the door. Oh, not coming today. Close the door. Several times. Well, did we get mad at him? No. Did I rhyme like, hey, you're wasting our time, you're wasting our gas, don't you know? We'd call him the next week, hey, you coming to church? 
But the one time we forget, it's like, you are the offspring of the, of the world. You are the filth of the world. You're the worst thing. You know, when you're in leadership, people don't judge you by the same standards, what I'm trying to tell you. Their kids run around, mess everything up, break everything, but your kids do one thing, and it's like, the pastor's kids. Say, what do you do? Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat it. Look, look, we're going to forget your birthday. Pastor's wife didn't get me a birthday card. There's 150 of you. I didn't get a birthday card. There's 150 of you. You know, I'm just telling you, we're just people. We're just normal human. But people don't. But you do it, and it's like, well, that's a big deal. And again, I'm not saying this is shame. I'm trying to help the guys, you guys, you ladies. You want to go in ministry? You want to go in ministry? You need to keep a right attitude. People are going to judge you in a way that you think, that's not right. That's not fair. I, I went to the hospital the last seven times you were in the hospital. And the one time we forgot or couldn't make it or I was sick or whatever. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Number eight, there's a rectifying of the spiritual leader. Look at verse 18. We're, we're, we'll finish up. Now, some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly. And if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Listen to me very carefully. As a spiritual leader, you need to be willing to correct some things. And if you're not willing to do that, don't go in ministry. As a leader, the, you know, the reason that I'm the leader of Verity Baptist Church, it's not because I preach well, because I could preach a lot better. It's not because I know the Bible better than you, because I could know the Bible a lot better. One of the main reasons that I'm the pastor of this church is because I have the backbone to get up and say, no, we're not doing that. Oh, you want to start a little uh, Bible study on Monday nights and invite all the church? No, we're not doing that. Oh, you want to talk about, let's start some group and talk about, you know, is the King James really? Nope. Not doing, you know, the, the, what really makes your leader is your willingness to correct things. And if you can't correct things, if you can't say no, if you say, I just, I, I don't like doing that, don't go in ministry. Because you know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, there are some major issues in this church. And if you want to know what they are, we're going to get into them next week in chapter 5. He said, there are some major problems in this church. He said, now some are puffed up as though I would not come, but I will come to you shortly. If the Lord will and will know, not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word or in power. Verse 21, what will ye? Notice what he says. Shall I come unto you with a rod? I mean, what's the idea there? It's like a, like a dad coming to spank someone. He said, do you want me to come to you with a rod or in love? Or in the spirit of meekness. Now look, I'd, I'd much rather just love. But sometimes we have to say, no, we're not going there. That's just not how we do it here. And people get mad and say, well, I can't believe you're on a power trip. No, I'm a spiritual leader. I'm a minister of God who's been called to steward the resources of God. And there's certain things we do here. There's certain things we don't do here. And this is the thing that people get the most mad at. People love hard preaching as long as you're not preaching at them. As long as you're preaching at the homos and the homeless... <laughs> right? You guys all hate the homeless around here? As long as you're preaching at someone that's not them, they love it. But when you start saying, hey, you can't do that. Hey, we don't do that here. Hey, that's not a good idea. Well, yeah, on a power trip. 
I'm not saying any of this to shame any of you. We love our church. You guys are awesome. You guys, this is the greatest church I've ever been a part of. But for those of you that want to be spiritual leaders, and for those of you that are married to men that want to be spiritual leaders, realize there's more to it than just the YouTube sermons you see on, YouTube, on, on, on social media. There's a lot that goes into this thing. We saw the role and the requirements, the regard, what they think about, what they care about, the respect, the reproach, the riches or the lack thereof, the right attitude, and the willingness to correct and rectify. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this chapter. Where the Apostle Paul just kind of gets down, gets real with the people there and just lets them in on a little bit of ministry. And Father, I, I pray that no one would walk away from this sermon thinking, oh, pastor's upset with ministry. This is, I would never turn this in for anything in the world. There's no job, there's no career, and there's no amount of money that I would turn this in for. But I do, though I don't want to shame our church people or make them feel bad, I do want to warn some people the ministry's not a game. If you can't handle showing up for church and soul winning and reading your Bible and praying right now, you're not going to do it when you've got hundreds of people or tens of people or whatever it is to deal with. Father, help us to be found faithful. Help us to get into ministry with our eyes wide open, realizing exactly what it is that's expected of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.